0: Hi, this is JP Mack, and welcome to Liberty Relearn, not just another conservative blog. Okay, so the Supreme Court of the United States decided not to hear the case brought by Texas against four rogue states who changed their election laws uh, recently. The suit basically said that when any state holds an election with laws or rules in direct contravention to the Constitution, all states are harmed. What they have done by not hearing that or the Pennsylvania case is tantamount to making following the Constitution optional. I think it's going to take a while for the implications of that to sink in. The Supreme Court's primary function is to defend and uphold the Constitution. With a recent string of decisions, or non- non-decisions, the Supreme Court of the United States under Chief Justice Roberts has just neutered the court. If states are free to flaunt the Constitution when it comes to election law, then what would keep other states from flaunting the Constitution when it comes to, say, abortion law? The recent rulings set a dangerous precedent. SCOTUS has just opened up a Pandora's box of potential laws and rules that could erode, and eventually destroy the rule of law in this country. If, the, if this present precedent is allowed to stand, it may just be a matter of time before we witness the self-destruction of America as a constitutional republic. Now, now that it seems that following the Constitution is now de facto optional, It won't take long for rogue states, both red and blue, to chip away at our union. It's not hard to see how this could end up in catastrophe. America is headed off into uncharted waters, and there may be storms and reefs ahead. And so when I go online, uh, particularly recently, and you read about the story about the uh, Supreme Court refusing to hear the Texas case and the Pennsylvania case, uh, you see a lot of people uh, cheering on the fact that, you know, the democracy was served and they saved democracy. And that's a great thing. But I don't think they are, they're those people who are making those comments or, really looking at the big picture or taking the long view. It's like, okay, uh, yeah, your side may have won a victory um, in preventing uh, President Trump from retaining office and getting someone else in. But that's really, in the end, going to be a Pyrrhic victory, uh, particularly uh, for those few who may not really be interested in seeing the United States self-destruct as a constitutional republic. So I see a lot of comments online of people having a very short-sighted view of things. Uh, And all that means is that we conservatives, we conservatives who uh, keep ourselves informed and uh, have studied things like the Constitution and have our own firm convictions on uh, supporting life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and retaining those rights that secure those things, Uh, we know that the Constitution is invaluable to keeping our republic going and keeping our freedoms intact. And so these people who would celebrate uh, what they consider a loss for Trump, they're not realizing that it's actually a loss for the country. I mean, now there may be a few out there that are perfectly fine. Uh, they don't like America the way it is. They want us to be some sort of uh, socialist country or you know, adopt some other authoritarian way. They don't. You know, they've bought into the idea that America is a flawed and not an exceptional country. And so they're perfectly fine with that. But I think there's a lot of people who are simply misinformed or uninformed about the nature of uh, particularly how the Supreme Court works, how federalism works, and uh, how our, our elections work. And... The problem is, like for instance with these four states, is that they started changing their election laws, uh, many of them uh, in advance of the uh, 2020 election, you know, with the 2020 presidential election in mind. Uh, A lot of it happened before COVID-19. Of course, you know, COVID-19 was used as an excuse to further things uh, like mail-in ballots um, and things like that, uh, so COVID nineteen was used as an excuse uh, for people to buy in, and unfortunately, uh, several state legislatures, uh, including some Republican ones, uh, bought into this. I get there. they felt that they were I don't know going to be accused of. Disenfranchising voters, or something like that, and basically, these laws were and these changes were made. Um, I, I would say, in best case scenario, they were made by uninformed pe- people. Um, you know, some of these were uninformed or underinformed uh, state legislatures, um, but. I think there's uh, probably a large enough contingent of people, obviously um, speaking mainly at the Democrats now, who knew exactly what they were doing, and knew exactly what would uh, happen with these laws intact. In and of course, you know, having what we have now, all these problems with voting irregularities, um, there are statistical anomalies that can't simply be explained away by just saying, well, you know, that's just how this election went Because um, there's lots of cases of supposed voter, voter fraud. Some of it has actually been proven despite what you have heard. There has been some voter fraud uh, found and proven. Um, obviously, if you have a dead person voting, who was deceased on uh, the, at the time of the election? Every single case of uh, dead person voting is a case of voter fraud. But we kind of uh, been uh, be, been desensitized to that, and we we've been trained to accept that as normal, or just you know the course of doing business uh, during an election. And of course, these practices have been normalized over time, so particularly, uh, most notably in Chicago, very famous for voter fraud. I mean, you think, you know, a uh, town like Chicago might be, you know, might want to be famous for something else and might want to, you know, reform their reputation. But so far, I mean, at least the, the political leadership lacks the will to change their reputation around. But and then there's other there's other cities that have also engaged in voter fraud or voter you know voter irregularities uh, people just look the other way and pretend not to see them and so unfortunately particularly in some places in, the, in this country uh, voter fraud and uh, voter irregular you know election irregularities that should be looked at that beg to be Looked at closer, just get ignored. And of course, uh, this has all been built up you know leading up to the 2020 election. And I think whatever whatever side you've, you you fall on as far as whether you like Trump or you hate Trump, I think you really should see the danger in the Supreme Court not taking up these two court these two cases. Uh, a lot has been made about the case, for example, in Pennsylvania, where Pennsylvania, uh, shortly before the election, they, cha- they made changes to their voter laws. Now, these changes, you know, any change to federal elections have to be adopted by the state constitution. And that's not what happened And, of course, uh, Republican state legislators uh, went to the PA Supreme Court and uh, they brought this case. And, of course, those justices on the court, uh, mainly uh, Democrats or Democrat appointees, um, they dismissed the case. So they decided basically to ignore uh, Pennsylvania's own constitution. And so that's the problem that they had with that. And they changed these laws. Uh, The United States Constitution says that the state legislatures are the only ones, and it's quite explicit that the state legislatures are the only ones that can change federal voting laws, i.e. the voting laws that uh, have to do with voting for the president and vice president, specifically. And so these four states, they uh, created changes. In the case of PA, uh, it was done in contravention with their own state constitution. Um, The uh, state Supreme Court simply just decided to ignore their own constitution. And in other cases, these were laws, many of them, done in the guise of, you know, COVID-19 protection measures that really increased uh, mail-in balloting, uh, called for unsolicited mail-in ballots. They, in some cases, they reduced the ID procedures, you know, making sure that the person getting the ballot is actually the person who requested it and the person who filled out the balance and sent is actually that same person all the way through. And so they made several adjustments to their laws. Um, ostensibly in name of COVID-19 uh, um, precaution, but of course we know that's just a, that was just a, an excuse to do these uh, changes in the voter laws. They probably would have found some anyway. But COVID-19 provided the perfect cover to make some of these changes again. Uh, in some cases, Republicans went along with these changes. Um, probably a little bit naive, uh, thinking that these changes weren't wouldn't lead to abuse or they, they'd be accused of disenfranchising voters or, or something else. So, whatever the reason, these Four states uh, made changes to their voting laws in contravention to the United States Constitution and sometimes in uh, contravention to existing laws in their states. Uh, These were things that were done maybe by the governor, for example, uh, using his or her emergency powers to adopt these changes. And again, U.S. Constitution uh, specifically, states that it's the state legislatures, not the governors, not the, not the states, but the state legislatures, that uh, are the only ones that can change federal election election laws. And so, what that's what the Texas lawsuit said is you had these four states; they ignored the U.S. Constitution. They had basically unlawful elections. and So the relief, of course, and these were all uh, swing states that uh, ended up uh, going for Biden, or at least they, they claim that they went for, for Biden. Of course, all of the voter fraud, if it exists, um, there really hasn't been enough time. I don't think to cover it all. Some of it has been uncovered. Uh, but obviously not enough to change the results of the election. And so what Texas is trying to do is uh, one of the remedies, obviously, would be invalidate the elections in those four states. Effectively, that would nullify Joe Biden's uh, winning by more than 270 electoral votes. And, of course, if any candidate does not get the required two hundred and seventy electoral votes, then the election goes to the House of Representatives. And in the House of Representatives, uh, what happens is uh, each state would bring their delegation; they send their they would vote for the president. Now, this is not like uh, big states have more Congress people, and so they would uh, have more votes. Uh, it's actually one state, one vote. So a small state like Iowa would have just as much say in this election as a huge state, such as New York, New Jersey, or California. And since there are more red states, the blue states uh, is more likely than not that Trump would win that election. And basically that would um, effectively overturn the results of the electoral college election. Now, I would suggest that probably overturning is not the correct way to phrase it. I would say it would invalidate the election or it would invalidate the results of those four states. And so uh, the lawsuit in and of itself wouldn't overturn the election. It would simply uh, create a circumstance where, you know, the election is decided in the House of Representatives. And, of course, as I mentioned, it would almost uh, assuredly go to Trump in that case. And, of course, that's what the Democrats don't like. Uh, the other point I would add is that since these elections were done, uh, in, well, let's say, um, the rules were done for, you know, uh, questionable reasons, let's say, questionable motives. Um, one can imagine that their motives were to cause enough confusion, make it easier to voter fraud to occur. And that is indeed what's being alleged by Texas and these other states, 17 other states joined in, uh, with the, with the Supreme court, um, case with their, you know, their objections against these, uh, four rogue states. And so I would say that the people who say that this is a, uh, victory for democracy or that democracy was upheld. Like, I'm not sure how you square that with the thought that the, you know, elections, the, the election results were upheld, but democracy, not so much because democracy depends on the elections being fair and transparent and with no fraud or interference. So in that sense, democracy was not well served uh, particularly by these Supreme Court decisions. And the other thing that I would note is, I think I think it's a safe bet that you know when you look at these online commenters, uh, commenting on on this case in the, in uh, Texas, uh, basically losing their bid to hear the Supreme Court hear their case, is that now you know it does not. Um, I don't think it would pass the shoe on the other foot test. So in other words, if the rolls were reversed. And there was some question that maybe Trump had cheated in four states. Uh, Maybe Republicans had changed the states or state changed their election laws at the last minute, made it easier for Republican win. Uh, I think you can pretty much uh, bet that these same people who are saying it's a victory for uh, democracy now Would be uh, claiming that the Constitution would be violated, you know, had the, you know, had been, had the uh, circumstances been reversed, you know, it's the shoe on the other foot test, and I don't think that really a lot of these people who are who are celebrating this win really are are that concerned with democracy. I think they're celebrating that their person won. And that Trump lost. That's what they're really celebrating. But they're, you know, they're doing it under the guise of uh, supporting democracy. But uh, maybe it's cynical. But I don't think that's the case, and at least for a lot of these people. And then on kind of an interesting side note, this uh, had people like prominent Republicans, Colonel Allen West, saying that maybe. Uh, What we should do is the states that actually want to follow the Constitution should form their own union, Uh, basically hinting at secession. Now, what I would say is that actually is not so far-fetched, but what I would say is that when these four states acted in direct contravention of the United States Constitution, that... Basically, they de facto seceded free knights from the United States, uh, at least for the duration of the election. Uh, so really, I would say from another point of view, is it would not be uh, all of these uh, states like Texas and the 17 other states seceding from the Union. It's more like that uh, the states of... Uh, uh, Michigan, Wisconsin, uh, Pennsylvania, and uh, I forget what the other one is, what the fourth one is. But, you know, those four states um, basically seceded. They opted out of the United States uh, as a constitutional republic for the purposes of winning an election. So one could say that from a certain point of view, it's those states that have seceded. And this is really going to cause a lot of problems down the line, particularly if this isn't fixed. Because we've had a series of decisions where the Supreme Court has just cowered from their duties from adjudicating these matters. Now, in the case where Texas brought suit against those other four states, uh, it says in the Constitution that the US Supreme Court has original jurisdiction in that case. In other words, that, that situation where uh, one state is complaining about another state or states, they're bringing a complaint, that's, that's supposed to be heard by the Supreme Court. Uh, and the Supreme Court uh, has abdicated and they've shown a lot of cowardice in the face of making any hard uh, decisions regarding politics um, Yeah, you know, there was this decision there was the other one I mentioned of Pennsylvania and there were several other cases that were thrown out or or were uh, abandon um, they really they really are afraid of making a decision that would um, affect the election they don't want to be the ones because um, they're looking at what I think happened was in reality is they're looking ahead and thinking to themselves the justices are okay. If we hear this case, based on what we know, we would have to decide uh, for Texas and those other states. And that means that we would have to nullify the uh, results of those elections, uh, render them void. And therefore, nobody would get 270 uh, electoral votes and therefore go to the House of Representatives and therefore uh, Trump would win. And they're looking at that and say, "Oh my God! Uh, imagine all of the rioting, and looting, and uh, 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 political disturbance that's going to cause countrywide. We don't want to cause that." But national reality is, well, first of all, uh, it's the people who are who are dead set for this power. That it's the Democrats who put these plans in motion to circumvent our election laws you know, it's those people uh who put all of this in motion so it would be they in fact and those people and uh you may, may remember um from a couple of episodes back saying something about the transition integrity project the tip and how they had plans basically to cause massive uh, social unrest, social upheaval, uh, work stoppages, and all all manner of trouble um, if the vote didn't get their way and if Trump won. Basically, there was no scenario where Trump won, where they didn't uh, riot. And, of course... Uh, just to um, review real quick on that, the Transition Integrity Project was a group supposedly bi- bipartisan, but by bi- bi- bipartisan means, it was uh, nominal Republicans, basically narrow trumpers and Democrats war gaming what would happen in different scenarios. You know, Trump win, a uh, Biden close contest contested election win and, uh, an easy Biden win. And so the war game, all these out, basically it was a planning session, the same thing, same sort of thing you would do like in a, in a military command where, okay, you're war gaming out and you're creating your plans based on, uh, what you think the other side's response to your actions would be. And you create your plans, based on that. And so that's what the Transition Integrity Project did, is basically create an outline, a plan of uh, massive civil unrest should Trump have won. And so, you have the Supreme Court, knowing all of this is liable to happen, probably going to happen. I know I was in Washington, D.C. recently, and you had you know, I think miles of fence, temporary fencing around every major structure, uh, the White House, the uh, Naval Observatory where the vice president lives, and several other places, and yet, all now this is right after the election, like within a week after the election, but since Biden apparently won, uh, it was all quiet. Uh, There were no Trump supporters out rioting and causing civil disturbances uh, regarding them not getting their uh, way in the election. So all of those fences, all those protective barriers up in Washington, D.C., were basically there to keep um, Democrat Biden supporters from rioting and tearing up uh, the White House and, and doing things like that. Uh, but Biden was a projected winner, so none of that civil unrest happens. Um, if you're uh, if you're a Democrat or a Biden supporter, I don't know if you're proud of that. Um, maybe you are, but I don't I don't know that uh, that the fact that uh, the government half has to create barriers to protect. Uh, certain buildings in Washington, D.C., from you. If you don't get your way, I'm not sure that's something that you know, maybe you should take a look at yourself. But anyway, I digress. So, you had, I think that's what the Supreme Court was thinking is they knew they knew how they would have to rule if they actually had to sit down and listen to the case, they would have to, in all likelihood, void. Uh, these elections maybe some of the elections maybe some of them could be proven otherwise but you know there's enough of those four states any combination of like two of those four states you know Pennsylvania and any other state really would have done it would have uh, sent the election to the House of Representatives um, and the Supreme Court uh, not really following their uh, mandate to uphold an defend the Constitution, uh, regardless of what the political implications were, uh, they, they basically punted. You know, they basically chose not to decide. But that in, in, the, in itself was a de- the decision. You know, they, their inaction was an action. So... I guess, they're not, I guess they're more worried about Democrat supporters rioting in the streets than Trump supporters rioting in the streets. So, again, I don't know, maybe that tells you all you need to know about the sports of each faction. Now, of course, there have been massive demonstrations, particularly in Washington, D.C., and in other states. And, yes, there was some violence a couple of days ago. I think some people got stabbed and there were some altercations happening. But by and large, there's nothing like on the scale that you had, like, say, this summer where you had all of these uh, protests uh, around the George Floyd killing and all of the the claims of social justice. And, you know, everybody out for, you know, supposed social justice, uh, rioting and looting uh, and destroying public and private property. And so uh, my theory is, and I'm sticking with it, is basically uh, it was an act of cowardice. Now, I don't know if it was a collective act of cowardice on part of the whole court. Uh, I kind of want to look at uh, Justice Roberts. Um, He's not exactly been courageous in his decisions, and he's not exactly been apolitical in his decisions. Uh, I think he's, particularly if you're on... The conservative side of the spectrum, I think you see a lot of problematic decisions that he's made. And uh, it seems like he just didn't want to deal with whatever social upheaval that uh, a correct ruling on this case would have caused. So he didn't want to deal with this. But now, all that does is that defers the matter down the road. Uh, cause at some point there's going to be another situation and, you know, there's going to be another challenge to the constitution's authority. Maybe they'll come from a red state, uh, perhaps on over, uh, Roe v. Wade or abortion or something like that. And, you know, they'll be ordered to, uh, comply with some measure or whatever. And they'll say, no, thank you. um, you know, we're going to do what we want. You guys did what you wanted as far as making up election laws. Now we're, we're going to do what we want as far as, uh, say, a Me- uh, Second Amendment laws or uh, abortion laws or things of that nature. Or it could be, um, I would think more likely, other ways that the uh, blue states try to um, consolidate and solidify their power. They say, hey, we got away with this. Uh, You know, let's double down on these games. Maybe they'll attempt something in the senatorial election for scheduled for January, the runoffs in uh, Georgia that will determine pretty much the fate of the the nation. Or they'll have some opportunity. Maybe they'll say, hey, um, we did this. Let's push for these laws. In a greater number of states. Uh, we'll see. Maybe it wouldn't be great if every blue state had uh, mail-in voting. And we'll, they'll really push these laws. now they've had some uh, uh, feeling of success. Um, they're just going to push for more and more and, and continue to ignore the Constitution. Uh, and... As you can see, this eventually will lead to an intolerable state of affairs where it's become obvious that uh, certain states are just picking and choosing what parts of the Constitution they want to follow and which parts they don't. And that's that leads to a very untenable uh, situation, a very untenable state of affairs. And uh, this is the sort of thing that, should never happen. Um, It needs to be nipped in the bud. I'm not sure, like, how you uh, let that, you know. Now that the genie is let out of the bottle, how do you get that genie back in? You know, how does the damage get undone? Uh, That's really going to be the question, because it's eventually going to happen where... Um, There could be a ruling, as I said, maybe it'll be a red state that doesn't like a ruling or chooses to do its own thing. Now, what's the the, to theoretically, you know, stop Arkansas at this point creating their own law? Um, Maybe it would permanently um, disenfranchise the, um, you know, sub-minority and kind of wrench to the United States Constitution, maybe the 15th Amendment. Um, you know, if you're going to pick and choose which amendments and which parts follow, well, why wouldn't some state, you know, if they wanted to, not that they would want to, but why, why couldn't some state at that point say, you know what, uh, we don't want black people to vote or brown people to vote. Um, We don't care what the Constitution says, um, and we're just going to do what we want, and it's going to be up to you to make us. Now, that creates a situation where basically whatever party is in power at the time gets to choose which parts of the Constitution will be allowed and which won't, because You know, if you think about it, you know, it's the executive branch that's charged with upholding the laws. Uh, The legislative branch makes the laws, Supreme Court interprets the laws, and the executive branch uh, is charged with upholding the laws. Now, it's not hard to see, you know, if things were to be reversed somehow, you know, maybe a Democrat president. Uh, Decides to send federal troops to some state like Arkansas, you know, or maybe uh, Alabama wants to completely uh, make abortion illegal. Uh, I could see a situation where something like that would happen, and that that uh, particularly Democrat president would be sending troops to a state. You know, and the thing is that. All of this could have been avoided. Like all of this, all of these things, these hypotheticals that I'm thinking of now, you know, I think something is inevitable in that realm. It's just a matter of how and when it happens. So uh, maybe it'll be one of the cases I mentioned, hypothetical cases like that, or maybe it'll be something totally different we haven't thought of. But when push comes to shove, you know, it will mean that whoever, really who controls the military controls what uh, parts of the Constitution get ignored and which don't. And, you know, it'll just come down to basically almost an authoritarian regime where uh, it's a very top-down force structure, very top-down governmental structure where, you know, what's legal, what's, you know, constitutional for all intents and purposes, what's constitutional depends on who's in the White House. That's not the way it should be. But, um, Supreme Court, uh, thank you very much. You've now opened this up to, uh, God knows what sort of difficulties. And these are things that are not going to easily, um, be decided. I mean, once they come, you know, whatever form they come in, uh, these are things that are not um, easily dealt with. And so all the mass demonstrations and what have you that the Supreme Court thought they were avoiding by not making the decision, they simply um, most likely have deferred the date of those demonstrations and maybe uh, which side uh, causes that upheaval. But... What they've done is kicked out the can down the road. Uh, pretty soon, you know, this is this is a, a can full of gasoline, and it's going to explode. Now, this you may be looking, listen to this, and say this guy's crazy. You know what's 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 JP Mac talking about now? He's gone crazy, but really, I mean, what uh, what else could it be if we find ourselves in a situation where? where states are allowed to uh, pick and choose. You know, if you game that out, talking about war gaming, uh, if you game that out to its logical conclusion, I don't know how it ends. I mean, so, you know, some at some point down the road, you know, this doesn't end well for somebody. That's uh, basically my, my, my point here. And... You know, know, these people who think this is a victory, no, this is not a victory. You're you're simply um, making conditions uh, for trouble, maybe in worse trouble than what you would have had. You're making those conditions now, um, and you're just kicking the problem down the road. Now you're creating conditions where more problems can arise. And so to kind of wrap things up on this subject, um, like I said, we're now in uncharted waters, and we don't know what sort of reefs and storms lighthead uh, because of the, um, really, the foolishness and short-sightedness of the Supreme Court. So I don't think we can understate that. But let's see. This is another thing, you know, I would love to to be proven wrong on all of this. Um, the, I think you're going to see more open talk about secession. Uh, right now, I think it's still kind of on the side of the fantasy, but, you know, it you know things that were ridiculous just 12 months ago, I mean, look at us, we're all wearing masks now. Um, almost all of us are, are wearing masks in public, which would have been unthinkable Maybe a year or two ago. Um, there's a lot of things we're doing right now that were unthinkable just, uh, a few years ago. And so I think, um, this is something that we can, um, uh, we should watch, be aware of. I think Colonel Allen West and others, I mean, Colonel, you know, Colonel West is not, is not a, a unserious person. I think he's a very, Educated, knowledgeable, and serious person, and when he even kind of suggests the plausibility of maybe forming uh, states banding together, uh, who wants to, who want to form, or who want to follow the Constitution? You know, just you know, for him, I can't. Um, for those of you who don't really know who Colonel Allen West is, um. He's a uh, required uh, retired uh, military officer. Obviously, he was he was a colonel, and um, so uh, he's very. You know, if you look on YouTube, uh, you can find his speeches. He's really good. He really presents the conservative and uh, even more so the American case very well and very effectively. So this is not some crackpot saying stuff. Um, so. When someone like that starts talking like that, um, I think it would beho- behoove all of us to prick up our ears and listen and, and start to take things seriously. But, all right, um, we'll move on from there. Uh, we'll see what happens. Again, I'm perfectly happy to be proven wrong on all this. And then you can email me, ha t- I told you so, you crazy. S.O.B., you know, say all this crazy stuff. But, you know, let's see, you know. That's that's fine. You know, I'd rather be called crazy than be correct about you know maybe 17 or so states seceding from the union or or trying to form uh, some sort of government or whatever you might believe is going to happen. But yeah, you know, and of course I like to be wrong about the social upheaval and the political upheaval and all that too. So I'm perfectly fine to be proven wrong on that. So. There you go. Uh, Moving on to uh, subjects no less uh, near and dear to our heart. Um, Some things that happened just uh, not too long ago. I was in a situation uh, at work. This person had COVID-19. He had recovered, thankfully. Uh, He seems to be in good health. Uh but he is I guess understandably a little bit phobic against catching it again. Um so basically it's it's interesting it's a interesting human phenomena. And I think we've all been guilty of it at some point. That, you know, when things get real to us, um, we kind of forget what we used to we say we believe in, what we give Lip service is what we believe in. Of course, this person, who does happen to be a liberal, um, you know, as you can imagine, is for every, you know, know, would not, you know, has not met a lockdown he didn't like. You know, lockdowns are a great idea. Uh, Masking for everybody, I'm sure that he'd be perfectly happy uh, for uh, masks to become mandated in, in all 50 states. Um, so he has no problem with the government uh, dictating, micromanaging our lives uh, in the name of uh, COVID nineteen. Um, so he has no he has no problem with that. So that got got me thinking, because he's obviously very scared of catching COVID nineteen again. Uh, but the science says that. Really, um, you know, if you've had it, like, say, in the last three months, uh, the preponderance of evidence suggests that you are immune. Obviously, there's always the exception that proves the rule. You know, you could be, you know, have some disease that compromises your immune system, uh, something of that nature. There's, There's always some exception when you try and make a blanket rule, particularly when it comes to medical things. But the preponderance science, you know, the climate change alarmists like to talk about the consensus of science. So it's odd that there's a bit of a consensus of science that says, you know, you're good if you have COVID-19 for maybe three to five months. Uh, And he's probably right at the edge, if I remember correctly, of that 30 days or, or that 90 days. So maybe his... Um, fear is a little bit more well-founded, but still, I mean, if they say that you probably have 90 days, you know, they're they're going the low ball. The estimate probably, um, they're they're not going to say, you know, if if you know only two percent of the population is uh, say immune for a year or six months. Let's just say six months. You know, if only 1% of the population is immune for six months, you know, they're not going to tell you that. That's not what the line of the CDC or the WHO is going to be. They're going to lowball that estimate and say, well, the majority, um, whatever percentage they're comfortable with, maybe will have a 90%, I don't know. But for them uh, to say 90 days, what that means most likely is that you're good you're virtually uh invulnerable to the disease for 90 days and then after 90 the days after those 90 days your immunity will gradually tape off and eventually you'll you'll again be susceptible to that disease and that be true for whatever disease uh not just covid-19 but you know so when but Nonetheless, you have the preponderance of scientists saying that somewhere around 90 days to five months, um, probably find the scientists somewhere that will say six months. Uh, I know, I believe I've heard um, not exactly the same thing, but people were immunized with the, the prototype of the, the vaccine that has just been approved for COVID-19. Um, going back to May. So now some of these people are, are still showing good immunity results. Uh, I guess it would be um, five, six months into their testing now. And they're still uh, showing good results. So um, you have the science that suggests that you know, if, you're, if you've had it within the last three months, you're probably good. I would go as far as say, if I were in charge, those people who have, who've had COVID and recovered in the last 90 days, um, you're you have to go to the back of the line. Now maybe it could be on the on the 91st day, you're just like anybody else, and you and you can get the the vaccine. But just to as a way of prioritizing people who get the vaccine, I'll go so far as to say that if you've had it. Um, you're, you're, we're going to depend on your natural immunity, seeing as you've had it, um, rather than taking an injection from someone who may need it worse than you, who who has no immunity. Uh, we don't want to give you that injection. Uh, we're going to give that injection to someone who needs it more. I think that would be a proper way. Now, obviously, if you're that, you know, person who's not getting the shot and wants it, well... You know, that's not what probably you want to hear. But I think, you know, all things being equal, I mean, you have to make a decision. If you have only so many doses and you have hundreds of millions of people um, in the United States that you want to give them to, you know, you have to prioritize the people. And I would go as far as saying, Um, Based on what I understand of the data and the studies, I would say that if you had it the last three months, um, that you can wait until other people need it before you get it. But anyhow, this person had it recently, recently recovered. believe he's in that 90-day window still, and he was deathly afraid of even going near me. Now this is a situation where we're eating lunch and we have to have our masks off. And so I had to have my mask off to eat lunch. And he absolutely didn't want me like in the same area. I mean, I'm not even talking about six feet. I'm talking, he didn't even feel comfortable with me being on the same floor of the building with him. And that's no exaggeration. He, um, It's understandable. To a point, but that just shows that you know someone. You you would think if anybody is gonna be following the science, uh, remember this is mainly coming from the left. That you have to follow the science, you know. Where you have to wear you have to wear a mask because that's what the science says. You have to maintain social distancing because that's what the science says, and maybe it does. And like all of these things have some science behind it. There's some scientists somewhere that says all these things, but I'm not trying to, um, you know, revisit that decision, but you have these things that, you know, the scientist says, and he's kind of cherry picking what science he's going to follow. Uh, he obviously is not going to follow the science that says he's immune for something, you know, Something around at least ninety days. He's not going to follow that science. Um, really, my my point of view is, you know, if you've had if you've had COVID nineteen, and you've fully recovered from it, and you've done your fourteen day quarantine, you've done all that. Um, science says you're good to go. As a matter of fact the i think it's the cdc recommending that you can go as little as 10 days to a week because again you know if you know there's evidence saying that you can go um 10 days they're going to tell you uh 12. if it's 12 days they're going to tell you 15. if it's a week they're going to tell you 10 days they're always going to go toward that maximum number just to be safe and of course you know they don't want to be blamed well you said uh, two weeks and here I got uh, in fact you know here people are getting infected after after two days or whatever so they're always going to um, use the higher end uh, whatever but even the CDC is now coming down saying so if you're not symptomatic you, you, you only have to quarantine for a week after you're I believe it's after your symptoms subside. But anyhow, you know, you, this person gone through COVID nineteen, recovered. You know, thank God for that. Um, he fully recovered. Apparently, he's deathly afraid, of course, of getting again. Understandably, but again, he's leaving his emotions cloud what the, what the science. Now, I guess it's easy for someone who's never had COVID-19 before to say, you know, well, you're going to uh, follow science. And then when it really comes down to it and and you say, well, I'm not so sure, you know, kind of real, that's a real uh, a check for your faith in science. And so that was just an interesting uh, point that, um, you know, that. The same person, stereotypically, who's going to be pushing the science uh, when it restricts freedom, he's not going to uh, accept the science to say, hey, this is the good news. This is the good part of, this is the good news for you. Now, you know, you've heard all the bad news and all the bad things and the hard things you have to do. Here's a little bit of good news. And basically, he's, choosing to ignore the good news that is supported by science. So I thought that was just an interesting fact about how, um, when it comes right down to it, it's really what you believe. Um, It's not what you say you believe. It's not what you tell people. Uh, It's, you know, when it comes right down to it, it's just what your emotions tell you. And it's interesting Uh, something to think about and so I think that's we're just going to leave it there Um, so there is an approved COVID-19 vaccination in the United States Uh, yay Uh, hopefully that will be done I think I've heard uh, the first doses are being distributed today uh, at least, as I speak to you, um, so that's good. Some I like to hear good news about the COVID nineteen, and I think we're going to get uh, more into this because this is again going to be a test of you know what you say versus what you actually believe, and so we're going to see if these uh, people actually believe what they're telling us now or if they're going to go against what the science suggests, uh, when the time comes to maybe retain their power. And so, okay, we'll leave it at that. Um, something to think about until next time. Uh, as always, I appreciate you listening to this podcast. Please, if you like this podcast, uh, tell a friend about this podcast. It's Liberty Relearned. Uh, it's on all of the major, um, carriers of podcasts, be it for Apple or Stitcher or Spotify, any major, any place where you can get a a podcast, um, your friends can listen to it regardless of how they're set up with their computers. So as long as they have a computer or a cell phone or a tab, they can listen to this. And more than likely, you can even forward this this podcast to them and say, hey, you need to listen to this. That'd be really cool. I really appreciate it. Uh, you doing that? Hopefully, you know you have some sense of whether this person will be receptive to my message. But anyhow, that'd be cool. Uh, we're on Facebook and we're on LibertyRelearn.com. Of course, you can see, uh, listen to me, or hear from me, JP Mac, uh, on uh, Parlor. Um, I think Parlor is really starting to take off now, so I hope everybody. Uh, who was on Twitter is now on Parlor, Maybe you're on both because you want to reach out to both sides. That's fine. Um, but definitely, uh, if you don't want the headache of being uh, censored, then definitely go to Parler. Because um, I think this is the real deal. There's been some false starts. But I think this is the real deal. So get on board with that. I appreciate you listening. Uh, and stay healthy and stay happy.